welcome to KaneCast, a podcast that provides commentary on the economy and financial markets by the Kane Anderson Rudnick Investment Management Team. Hello, this is Jordan Greenhouse, Managing Director, Kane Anderson Rudnick. And with me today, I have Chris Armbruster, Senior Portfolio Manager and Research Analyst of the Kane Anderson Rudnick Midcap Sustainable Growth Portfolio. Chris, thanks for your time today. Chris, the first quarter of 2023 began with a carryover recover from the tail end of 2022, in which there appears to be a bit of a greater focus on overall stock quality. However, as we move into the tail end of the first quarter, we saw markets reverse course a bit due to concerns related to contagion in the banking sector. Can you provide our listeners with your perspective on the first quarter of 2023? In the first quarter of 2023, we witnessed the second largest and third largest bank failures in U.S. history with the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank, respectively. We also saw a globally systemic bank in Credit Suisse require the backing of the Swiss government to facilitate a merger with its counterpart, UBS. The Federal Reserve raised the federal funds rate another 25 basis points to 4.75%, but at the same time expanded its balance sheet for the first time in a year, extending liquidity to alleviate the stress on the banking system. Still, the market turned in a relatively robust quarter, with the S&P 500 up 7.5% and the NASDAQ up an even more impressive 17%. While it is too early to issue an all-clear, we believe that the banking issues will be contained to a small handful of banks that had somewhat unique characteristics. For Silicon Valley and Signature, it was exposure to the venture capital community, but more importantly, It was an almost universal exposure to uninsured deposits. For Silvergate Bank, it was direct exposure to cryptocurrencies. And for Credit Suisse, the problems of mismanagement ran back years, maybe even decades. With inflation readings continuing to decline and emergency liquidity measures giving depositors access to funds and reinforcing confidence in the banking system as a whole, we believe equities can advance meaningfully based on their own business merits and execution, as exposed to influence from external forces. Chris, what names contributed the most, and can you provide an example or two of names that detracted in the portfolio? The top five contributors to the mid-cap growth portfolio this quarter are South and Latin American e-commerce platform Mercado Libre, global e-commerce enabler Global E, insurance agency Goosehead Insurance, credit worthiness determiner Fair Isaac Corporation, and programmatic advertising platform, Trade Desk. The name we would like to spend a little more time with this quarter is Goosehead. Goosehead Insurance is an insurance broker rather than an agency that takes underwriting risk that has structured its business in a logical way whereby it separates the sales and service functions that are typically done by the same insurance agents. As a result, we believe Goosehead delivers better service, higher productivity, and stronger agent retention, about twice the industry average. In our view, this combination attracts the best agents from around the industry and helps Goosehead drive industry-leading premium growth. With upwards of 80 insurance partners, Goosehead is also one of the only companies whose franchisees are able to sell products from multiple insurers. About 20% of Goosehead's revenue is exposed to purchase mortgages, And while volumes are down sharply for the industry as a whole, Goosehead's size and relationship with lenders has allowed it to outperform peers. 
Additionally, insurance companies have been raising rates on customers in response to claims losses. These rate increases flow directly through to Goosehead in the form of higher premiums on which Goosehead earns a fixed percent. Finally, the company has seen stabilization in its franchisees as a whole. For a few quarters, there were signs that some franchisees were struggling. Turnover increased, productivity waned, and many that signed initial agreements backed out before launching their businesses. We have come to learn that the recent cohort of franchisees that reneged on their agreements was an outlier from those the company has been able to recruit historically, with many of them only interested in the business as the global pandemic pressured other forms of work. They then backed out when they were able to return to former employment. As the overall business held up better than people were fearing and the company continues moving past the cohort of COVID-era franchisees to ones whose productivity is more in line with historical trends, shares have rebounded strongly from their October lows. The bottom five detractors from the mid-cap growth portfolio for the quarter were now-defunct Regional Bank Signature Bank, Carotid Artery Disease Treater Silk Road Medical, Automated Bill Payment Enabler Bill.com, Functional Energy Beverage Maker Celsius Holdings, and Energy Multinational Halliburton. The detractor we wanted to focus on this quarter is Signature Bank. Signature Bank was a New York-based bank that made a name for itself catering to commercial real estate owners with highly personalized service. It took that model of relationship banking and expanded to other types of customers, amassing nearly $110 billion of deposits by March of 2022. By focusing purely on relationship banking, Signature bypassed heavy spending on marketing and high-cost branch locations, while generating over a billion dollars of deposits per office. The bank then plowed those savings back into paying for high-quality relationship banking teams that generated deposits and grew the company without making risky acquisitions. In recent years, those relationships increasingly took them into business with the venture capital community and with digital assets like cryptocurrencies. Eventually, Signature found itself in a position where over 80% of its deposits were over the limits insured by the FDIC. So when Silicon Valley Bank failed, regulators were panicked that the contagion would spill over to Signature. While it was true that Signature shared some of the customer concentration and uninsured deposit ratios, it had been more balanced in investing those deposits into more short-term liquid securities whose value had not declined as much due to rate increases. While we have no doubt that the social media fuel panic among large depositors led to massive outflows on March 9th and March 10th, we felt that the decision to close the bank on March 12th was preemptive. Signature did not have the same liquidity issues that forced Silicon Valley to liquidate its available for sale securities portfolio at a substantial loss and did not have direct exposure to cryptocurrency that Silvergate Bank did. On March 20th, all of Signature Bank's deposits and a portion of its loans were sold to New York Community Bank Corp, leaving the equity with no value. So we sold our shares. Lastly, as we move into the second quarter, what are some of the key considerations you and the team are evaluating from a portfolio perspective? With interest rates at or near zero for most of the last 15 years, 
and actually negative in some international markets, and the balance sheet of the Federal Reserve here in the U.S. expanding from about $800 billion to almost $9 trillion, there has been an abundance of liquidity in the world for a long time. Investors are now seeing the process of removing that artificial stimulus from the markets, and it's going to be an uneven process. The Federal Reserve in the U.S. and other central banks around the world are raising interest rates fairly aggressively. Our Fed is also engaging in quantitative tightening, whereby it allows bonds on its balance sheet to mature without reinvesting the proceeds. This had reduced the size of the balance sheet by $600 billion until emergency liquidity procedures were needed to prop up the banking system in March. Finally, the recent banking uncertainty will likely further dial back lending. Draining liquidity like this from the system will put more pressure on companies to succeed on their own merits, no longer able to fall back on inexpensive external capital. We are spending our time reevaluating the ability of each of our companies to self-fund growth over the long term, and we remain committed to those businesses whose path to growth we believe is well-defined and obtainable. Chris, as always, thank you very much for the time and the insight you provide our listeners, and we look forward to future conversations. You have just listened to KaneCast, hosted by Jordan Greenhouse. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Spotify. For more of our investing insights, head over to our website, www.kane.com. KaneCast is the official podcast series of Kane Anderson Rednick Investment Management. This material is provided as a matter of general information and is not intended to be relied upon as a forecast or research. The opinions expressed herein are those of the speakers and are not necessarily the opinions of CAR or its affiliates, are current as of the date and time of the recording, and are subject to change at any time due to changes in market or economic conditions. The information and opinions contained in this material are derived from proprietary and non-proprietary sources deemed by CAR to be reliable and are not necessarily all-inclusive. CAR does not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of this information. This communication should not be construed as an offer or solicitation to purchase or sell any security. Individuals should consult with a qualified financial professional before making any investment decisions. Reliance upon information in this material is at the sole discretion of the listener. To the extent any performance is discussed, past performance is not indicative of future results.